Hello, Alex from Scrimba here. You are listening to a recording of one of our weekly fireside chats here at Scrimba. In a nutshell, we sit around an imaginary campfire and have real conversations about learning to code and how to land your first junior developer job. We bring out the imaginary kindling every Tuesday, and while we hope you enjoy this recording, we would much prefer to see you there live, because when you attend live, you get to participate in the chat and ask us questions. To learn more about the Fireside chats, such as how to join, what exciting topics are upcoming, and what specific time the event happens in your time zone, head to scrimba.com forward slash fireside. On behalf of myself, my wonderful co-host Leanne from Scrimba, and everybody else on the Scrimba team, and our occasional guests here in the Fireside chats, please enjoy this episode, and remember to subscribe so that you see future episodes as well as support the show. Let's get into it. When you're freelancing, you essentially are not just a coder anymore, but you're also responsible for marketing yourself and creating a pipeline of clients. You might need less coding knowledge than you realize to get started freelancing, and we'll touch on that a little bit today. We're also going to bring uh, Philippe up onto the stage in a little bit, who you might recognize in the audience, because Philippe is a community member who actually put some of this advice to practice and found a freelance job by going to a local business and asking if he could help to create a website for them. I think it was a tattoo studio. So you'll hear all about that soon. And I think, by the way, freelancing can uh, serve different roles in your journey to become a hireable developer. For some people, like Gary Simon, who I interviewed on the Scrimba podcast a few weeks ago, his ambition was just to be a full-time freelancer. That was his end goal. He wanted to be his own boss and have the autonomy that came with it. I think for many of us, myself included, when you're between jobs or between being a code newbie and a hireable developer, Freelancing is a great way to almost dip your toes in the water and prove that you do have the skills and the ability to code for money. It can be a huge stopgap to earn a bit of money in the short term, or it could be something that catapults your career because now you have, you know, proof of work. You can demonstrate to a full-time employer like, hey, I've done this freelancing. Now I can do this for you full-time. When you're freelancing, you really do have to think about marketing yourself, but marketing yourself can mean different things to different people. And so I was thinking we could kick things off by talking a little bit about what marketing is and what marketing yourself looks like. Yeah, sounds great. I think a lot of people think of the obvious things with regard to marketing and branding and they're sort of tied together. And that's things like the logo and the colors and uh, your brand visuals, I guess, which are more important than people might think. You need to look pro and you need to have some kind of cohesive look so people can recognize you Um, but marketing is also more than that so it's your reputation and what you're known for so for example our teacher Bob Zirol he's known for React and we've got Kevin who's known for CSS and it can also be maybe the media you use so some people focus on Twitter and they become a CSS expert on Twitter other people use YouTube So it's really up to you what kind of branding you want to craft. Do you want to make websites or games or what kind of niche you want to go for? These are the things you need to consider, really, when you start marketing yourself. That's right. Becoming a freelancer means becoming a marketer. 
And I think that in the short term, you are welcome to go to websites like freelancer.com, Upwork, TopTool, among others, and go to job ads one by one and apply. But if you aim to become a successful freelancer in the long term and make it your primary source of income, essentially, then getting people to come to you is very effective. And there are lots of ways you can do that. I think the number one thing, if you're looking to get started freelancing today, is to, I think, get on those websites like Upwork and Freelancer.com. They can be tricky beasts, those websites, because they are very, very competitive. And sometimes what that leads to is a race to the bottom where you have people kind of undercutting each other. That's where the kind of positioning and marketing becomes so important. So your price might be a bit higher than someone else, but because you have like a really high quality headshots on your profile, a compelling description, you have some proof of work perhaps from your open source work or by completing a Scrimber module. You know, if you've built a Netflix clone or something like that, don't underestimate um, the potential of using that as proof of work when you reach out to people, especially if you've built on top of it. Beyond that, if you're on these websites and you're applying and things still aren't going great, I think the number one thing to do is have some kind of personal website and that should be the centerpiece of your marketing. So if you don't get enough work and you don't have a website, that's probably where to focus. And on that website, you can feature whatever makes sense to to sort of highlight your ability as a potential freelancer. What kind of things do you think you would feature on a portfolio or a website if you were looking to attract freelance clients, Leanne? I think the important thing is that it looks really pro and you only want to showcase your best work on there. I think some people have a tendency to just put as many projects as they can, but that's not really the way to go because naturally some projects are going to be better than others and you really only want potential clients to see the very best ones. Um Usually for a portfolio that a recruiter is looking at, you'd want to have your skills in terms of your technologies near the top. But when you're looking for clients, it's slightly different because they're not necessarily going to know if they need React or CSS or whatever else. So you should probably frame it, what things can you build? What's your speciality? Maybe you're great at making retail websites, for example. Put those front and center And another, it seems obvious thing, but quite a lot of people don't do it, is make sure that it is actually possible to contact you. Because, for example, when I'm looking for Scroomba teachers, sometimes I've found people on YouTube, um, but I can't actually contact them. There's no email, um, their Twitter DMs are locked, and so on and so forth. So really make sure that it is easy to contact you. So you can set up a separate... Um, email address for this you don't have to use your personal one it's probably better to not use your personal one actually um, but just make it easy for people to reach out because if there's you and another freelancer and they can send an email to the other freelancer at the click of a button whereas you they have to go through however many hoops um, obviously they're going to go for the easier one seems obvious but bear it in mind and that can go on your portfolio as well of course in the um, contact section that's a great point and it rains very close to home here because i've actually been in a position to hire freelancers and agencies in the past and one project i worked on was rebranding a developer tool product and creating a brand new website for them 
Um, I'll paste the link to it in the chat in case people want to check it out. Like I'm not affiliated with Comet Chat anymore, but I joined to do marketing stuff like this and perform a total rebrand. And so as like the product manager, essentially, I worked a lot on the copy and the structure, but I didn't code or design the website. I wanted to find some help. And there's two things that come to mind here. The first is that we were pretty convinced we wanted to use something called a headless CMS. And the one we were looking for was called Prismic. It's a very specific CMS. And the reason why this is interesting to mention, I think, is because I literally went on Google and searched like Prismic freelancers because I knew I'd rather work with someone who's already used Prismic. And, you know, it's quite specific. Like it's not not everybody. Most people don't know Prismic, in fact. But it just goes to show that if you do have a particular niche or focus, even though it might not draw as many eyeballs, it's not the broadest topic. It might help you find um, clients with a very specific need and are willing to pay for it. The other thing, and I think this is a very natural thing for any person looking to hire a freelancer, is you want to really evaluate your options. Like two things. One, I didn't really know what I needed exactly, not yet. Like I knew roughly what the scope of the project was and what it was going to contain. But because I wasn't an expert about Prismic and its API, I wasn't sure what exactly went into it. So I wanted to talk to a few different developers. And the other thing I wasn't sure about is because there was a design and a development part to this, I wasn't sure if I wanted to work with like just a design developer hybrid or if I wanted to work with a duo or a team. In the end, actually, we did go with an agency because this was quite a significant project and was quite important. Like it was too, too big to fail kind of thing. Like it was, it was better to go with an agency in this particular case. But what I did in the first instance was create like a spreadsheet of potential freelancers to reach out to. And I tried to grab all their emails so I could email them all at once. And yeah, a lot of place, a lot of freelancers, they made it difficult to contact them either because the contact information wasn't obvious. I had to go searching for it. And, and one kind of like quite contentious thing perhaps is that when I'm reaching out to someone, like I prefer to have their email address because I can just open it in Gmail and use the tool. I know if I want to follow up with more details, I can do that, right? Because I can go to my sense folder, add another message. Whereas if you use an email contact form, it kind of goes into the oblivion as far as the sender is mm -hmm. concerned. And I can't bring it into a tool to send multiple emails at once because I might want to send the same rough message with a spec to, you know, two or three people. And so making it easy to, I think two things like making it appreciating what the client might be thinking. I hope I've helped with that a little bit. And likewise, making it as easy as possible to contact you are very important, I think. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree about forms. It's very difficult to keep track of them. Um, so that's a great point. In terms of um, what else you need on your portfolio, I think a, a nice headshot can really help you to seem approachable. It's a bit like on LinkedIn. It's always better to have a nice professional looking picture. Ideally, some experience. So maybe you don't have paid experience yet. Maybe you do. Obviously, if you do, put it on there. If not, you can go down the route of seeing who you can help out in your um, network. So maybe you know someone who has a, I don't know, ice cream shop that needs a website and uh, you can build one for them and then put that as your experience. If not, your best projects, good to have those on there anyway. Ideally, some reviews, get a shining review and put that on there. Your skills list should be there. And um, a description of basically what you can do, but not too long. You want it, I'd say one or two sentences. Would you say that's enough, Alex? 
Yeah, definitely. Plenty. Yeah, short and snappy. So those are the sort of main things I thought of. I don't know if I've missed anything there. What does everybody in the chat think? I really want to open up the floor to people who are listening. And if you have questions, please post them in the Fireside Chat channel. We'd love to discuss them and see if we can help out. And likewise, if you have any thoughts about what could possibly go in a portfolio or a website geared towards attracting freelance clients, that'd be a great thing to share. What I'd like to do aside from that is bring a little bit of like a linear structure to this chat, because I guess the first natural question when you're looking to start freelancing and if you're a new developer, it's like, when are you ready to start taking on freelance clients? From there, maybe we can talk a little bit about how to find work. And I think you bring up a great point about finding a local ice cream shop or something. That's going to be very similar to what Philippe has to share in just a few minutes. But yeah, to, to kind of set the linear train in motion, if you like, what do you think, Leanne? Like, when is someone ready to start taking on freelance projects? I think the thing is to not wait until you feel ready. I mean, obviously, you need to be able to build something. But if you're waiting for a time when you think, oh, yeah, I'm totally ready to tackle any project now, I mean it's very difficult to know when that time is so i would say think of the most basic project that you think you could get paid for see if you can build that in your own time and if you can then i don't see why you can't do it for money that's the approach i'd take anyway I, i'm inclined to agree with you 100 percent. and i think what mm-hmm. when you're like a new coder you know you're, you're looking at the code and you're looking at tutorials and you're in a community and on Twitter and you're seeing how advanced people are and how much room you have ahead of you to grow. But what you sometimes don't realize is just how many people you're ahead of. And I would say yeah. that on websites like Upwork and so on, there are some people who are looking for like a, another developer to join their team or to work with them as a developer. But actually there are many like, is that what's the right way of saying it? Like lay people, people who don't know anything about code, people who like right click inspect element by mistake and get intimidated like oh my god what is this i broke the browser and they're Mm -hmm. looking for lots of projects which i think might be in your wheelhouse if you're listening um relatively early on in the career path like it could be um yeah it could be creating a landing page or something like that It, it could be just tweaking something or adding like an analytics script to a page i know this is kind of a very specific example but just to give an idea a lot of marketing people they want to add like facebook tracking codes or pixels they're called to their websites but they they don't know how because they haven't got a clue how to edit the code from a developer's point of view it's quite trivial you you basically paste some code in the head of the html page and and sure it loads on every page this is the kind of thing that someone could pay you a hundred dollars plus to do maybe maybe more if you if you uh like find the right clients essentially but there are lots of miscellaneous tasks like this and the only way you can be sure if you can do them is to firstly browse the jobs and see what looks to be in your wheelhouse and i think leanne your suggestion to kind of just try these things without any commitment to test your own knowledge well it doesn't get any more authentic than that does it like you can't you can't lie to yourself like you can either do it or you can't yeah absolutely actually choosing a task from the job ads is a really good idea oh you know Atisham's story right tell us about it he came on yeah i interviewed Atisham for the podcast and he, he joined a one of the weekly meetups which happen every thursday by the way for anybody listening and Atisham's strategy was like pretty smart i think like i don't think he wanted to be a freelancer necessarily but he saw it as like a means to an end And he went on Upwork, found jobs, and basically just started coding for solutions without permission. 
And then he would go to the client once he felt confident. He's like, okay, you know, I wasn't sure at first, but I see the path now. I know I can finish it. He came to the client, not only with that confidence, but with half of the project already complete. Think about it. If you're a client and someone shows that initiative, you're going to have a smile on your face. You'll be like, damn, why would I not trust this guy? He's, he's shown so much good faith and I can see that the project is on track. Then what Etisham did basically is like traded this um, work for a little bit of money. He wasn't earning a huge amount. He took a reduced rate, I think. But what he did is he earned some really stellar recommendations on Upwork which are just good assets to have, right? Because as you apply for jobs, they're useful. Should you continue freelancing, they're useful as well. But when I asked Etisham about it, about his like justification, he very much saw it as like, okay, I could sign up to front-end mentor or something like that. And I, and I, or I could follow Gary Simon's, you know, fig, uh, design Figma to uh, code kind of course. And that's still a great course to watch, by the way. But what Etisham thought is I could take the same idea of copying something and bringing it to life, but do it on Upwork, do it on these talent websites like freelancer.com and reap the benefits as I as I progress. So I thought that was a very creative strategy and it, it served him well because he, he got a great job in the end. That's a great technique. We've got a couple of questions in the chat. Ransom9335 um, is asking about hosting. Um, as far as bandwidth usage goes, um, is it easier to pick a hosting site that scales to the user's needs automatically or better to work with uh, that client ahead of time to help them estimate how much bandwidth they need and have them revisit with you if they have troubles? How would you estimate bandwidth? Well, I have to say, <laughs> I have no real idea on this one, um, but my instinct would be to go for the one hosting a site that scales automatically as long as there's a limit on how much it scales because you don't want them getting a horrendously huge bill at the end of the month without warning but if you can limit that then i would say that's probably got to be easier what do you reckon alex i think it's a great question honestly because you know as a as a newer freelancer you might be under the impression that like you're responsible for the website, but you're not really always responsible for the website once it's like, you're kind of responsible for building it and getting it live and then offering options to the clients to keep that website going. This is a really ridiculous example, but I was watching a video earlier on YouTube about like this huge mansion and they made the point that if you buy maintain the garden and stuff like that, it's like if you sell a property, the costs and the maintenance go on to the person who bought it. Now, as a seller, you actually have a great opportunity to offer additional services to, to keep the website up and running and adjust to scale and stuff like that. So what I would suggest essentially is that, like, to, to be honest, like most websites are going to be small and stay small. Not every, but the majority of clients, they come to you and they say, hey, I've got an idea for the next Facebook. We need this thing to scale to support millions of users. And it's kind of stressful. And the reality is it probably never will reach that point. Like mm -hmm. most apps don't go that way. But if it's a local business as well, you can probably estimate the traffic, which is not going to be going to be too great. Um, but if you if there is the potential to scale there, like if you think that the app's going to get more and more traffic, maybe you build a blog for someone and every now and again they get a viral post. 
you, you kind of have two options. Like when you host a website, you can have websites that scale according, you have hosting providers that scale according to the traffic. This is especially possible when you use things like Heroku. It just becomes as easy as a slider. Like I'm thinking, if you think about things like HostGator and stuff like that, they give you like little packages and you kind of feel a bit of pressure to pick the right one the first time. But a lot of modern hosting solutions, they actually kind of auto scale as your traffic increases. It, it really depends on the app, right? Like if it's a static website, and then by that I mean it's just a HTML file for a landing page or something, it's normally not an issue. Like they're quite cheap to scale and really most hosting providers will help you with that. But if it's got a database element, for example, and the database might be getting a lot of traffic, there's a lot more considerations to make that I can't so easily summarize. But I think the biggest opportunity is to offer kind of a service package with the website and say, hey, if you pay me $20, $30, it really depends, right? If you don't think it's likely to need much, much maintenance, you can make the price low and attractive. If you think it likely will need some work to scale it, which, which by the way, might not just be to do with, um, might not just be to do with the host thing, it might be to do with the code as well. All, all of this really to say that it comes down to the client's expectations. Like if they are going to come to you in a few weeks and be really angry because the website's not scaling anymore, that's like a shared responsibility. Like you need to find good clients who understand and will work with you and pay you fairly to keep their website up and running because it's really two separate projects. Yeah, I think what you mentioned about giving them options is also a good solution because I mean, ultimately, it's their business, so it's up to them to decide. And what you've said, um, Alex, kind of answers Dan Pitt's question of how do you get from working on projects from a one-time payment to turning them into long-time clients? Uh, I suppose one way of doing that is the maintenance of the website, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think upselling as well. Like, upselling is when you basically sell a product, like uh, a car, and then you upsell additional services or add-ons, right? Like a roof rack or a maintenance package or something. And, and the really cool thing about, you know, you're selling a car, you, the dealer has really one opportunity to do it at the beginning. But a website is more like an ongoing type of thing where you can maintain an open dialogue with the client and try and understand their business requirements. And honestly, like clients love this when you can suggest to them things to add to their app, but not just because it sounds good. Like here's an example, like say you build them a, a news website um, for say a local business is selling gardening equipment or something and they want a news website to, to announce news to their customers. You know, you could basically explain that, okay, this is the website. If someone goes here, they can find the news. But here's what I think. I think you should add like social sharing features because when you do that, more people are going to share it. That's going to come back in the form of new customers. That's going to earn you this much revenue. Therefore, pay me this relatively small amount in comparison, and I'll implement it for you. But I think that, honestly, there are different types of clients. Like some are more, I saw a tweet, so I forget how it goes. This client says, here's $500. Please, please, please do everything you can to make the project a success. This is all I have. This is like the, the biggest investment I'm going to make. Like they're so emotionally invested in it. And the, and the other scenario the tweet talks about is like, here's $100,000. Let me know when you need something. It's just like when you work with a client who really understands software and the value it brings, they tend to be a little bit more relaxed, I think, and a little bit more susceptible to you upselling them services. Whereas if you're working with a client with a limited budget and not a very great appreciation for the impact a website or an app can have on their business, it might be an uphill battle. So you have to think about it like a funnel and the better customers you add to the top and you get those with time, really more experience, more reputation. 
the more likely you are to maintain like a good relationship with them. But yeah, like also play a numbers game. Like you can be quite hands on and keep reading out to them, but you know as well as I do that that's going to be a bit awkward. And if they're not interested, they're not interested. It's quite hard to push beyond that unless you're a you know natural salesperson or something. But if you do a great job for them and they're genuinely happy with the product you delivered, well, you can bet that they're going to come back to you when they need something else. And so maybe you don't have to worry all the time about upselling or offering more services. Maybe you just have to wait long enough that they come back to you and continue to fill your pipeline in the meantime. Or recommend you to other people as well. But yeah, exactly. Like referrals, 100%. David asks, any suggestions for billing options, QuickBooks, etc.? And then Ransom9335 says that on the Syntex FM podcast, they mentioned fresh books. I've never really had a need to do things like that. So I don't really have a recommendation, I'm afraid. But how about you, Alex? Um, not really. Like, I think, I think there are lots of good options, though. And there tend to be tools that have everything built into one, like time tracking, if you work hourly, the ability to raise an invoice. Some of these tools, by the way, they let you follow up. They, they can connect to your bank, I think. And if the payment doesn't come through after the due dates of the invoice, they will send a follow up email. And it's a little bit less awkward than having to. Anyway, I don't think it should be awkward, by the way. Like there's a great talk about that called um, it's literally called no, should, the name is explicit. It's like F you pay me. And it's all about, I'll send a link to that in the chat because it's uh, it's about how sometimes as a freelancer, a lot of your job is just collecting payments. Um, so yeah, no, no specific recommendations. And I, and I think it could be country dependent as well, because like, I know in the UK we have uh, free agents, I think, um, which is like accounting software. But in America, I think QuickBooks is like really popular. It, it really, it really depends on your needs as well. So definitely worth researching. I know you'll find something good. Hmm. Irina asks, do you write down a contract with the client? What should be included? Obviously, I can't give legal advice here, but I think the obvious ones that I would suggest are the nature of the task, obviously, what exactly that involves, potentially what it doesn't involve. So, for example, if uh, you haven't agreed to do maintenance going forward, it's probably worth saying that in the contract. And that could also be a chance to upsell the maintenance. I would put in a due date. A realistic one, of course. Well, the price. And uh, if anything is needed from uh, the client for the project to go ahead. Because if you're waiting for assets, photos, copy or something like that, and they don't get it to you before, you know, one day before the due date, obviously it shouldn't be on you to finish everything in the last day. Um, so specify that. Have you got anything to add, Alex? No, no, I think you've covered like plenty there. Like that, there are absolutely things you should consider just in general. Like I think maybe a contract is, it has that legal connotation and you can go down that route. Like you can find the contract boilerplates online. What maybe I would suggest is thinking about it more like an agreement. And in that, in that category, think about what, like all the things you said, basically Leanne, and just being upfront mm -hmm. about it, because honestly, there are going to be some like question marks over every job. Maintenance is a great one. And like, if you're just quiet about it and you're like, oh, I don't know, if I talk about maintenance and they learn that I won't do it, they won't pay me, they won't, you know, I can totally understand that anxiety, but oh my God, it's so much better to have that clarity up front than to get to the end of the project when they're due to pay you essentially or pay the remainder um, and then have that difficult conversation. Like that's not a 
not a place anybody wants to be. So yeah, like the benefit of hindsight is, is strong there. Like you'll probably miss mm-hmm. something and that's why those boilerplates are so effective because they'll cover things you've not thought about. But yeah, it's about, it's about an agreement, I think. Phil has suggested one there. Good website for contract template for web devs in the chat there. Oh, lovely. Thank you, lovely, Phil. Lovely. Yeah. Gupta said, I've seen people reach out, uh, just reach out and ask and get the work. People, including me, really hesitating a lot on reaching out to others or even talk about something, some, some tips about this. Can you clarify a little bit? Do you, do you mean like reaching out in general for, for help? Do you, do you understand exactly, Leanne? Is it about reaching out for help or is it about reaching out to potential clients? I read it as reaching out to clients rather than reaching out to help. So yeah, approaching potential clients. Any tips on that? Well, I, I don't know, but I know that Philippe does. So let's, let's, this is a great opportunity to bring Philippe up. So Philippe is a Scrimba user. Hey Philippe, welcome to the stage, man. Hi, hi, hi. Happy to be here. We, we were doing so many social events like earlier, like a few months ago, and, and I think you're at many of them. I've not seen you so much lately, but it's a, it's a pleasure uh, yeah. to have you appear on the stage. Yeah, I've been uh, busy with, uh, well, some freelancing stuff and uh, internships. Oh, oh yeah, well, that's, that's great problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So Philippe, can I, I'm just going to set the ground a little bit. Um, and, and, I, and I hope I'm remembering well, because we spoke yeah. about this in some depth a month or two ago. Yeah. But essentially, you reached out to a, a, a local, a brick and mortar business in your local area, a tattooist, I believe, and yeah. offered to build them a website to help them market their services and attract more customers. Can you tell us the story about where the idea came from and how you executed on it? Well, the way it started was was because uh, since I was... Uh, because actually right now I'm going to a boot camp as a food ca- food stack developer, and in order to validate the boot camp, basically we have to um, to find internship, right? So I applied to a couple of places, and then I got my first interview. I was very excited. Uh, first interview as a developer for me, it's, it meant the world, uh, to be honest. Uh, however, I didn't get the job because I didn't know any React back then. However, freelancing was at least is a long-term goal of mine, and. Funny enough, uh, when I first joined the boot camp in November, I was planning it that way that I would go to the boot camp for 10 months. Then I would, you know, eventually find a job, work there for about four or five years and then get into the get enough experience and then eventually do some freelancing when I will feel ready. Right. Because uh, this is one of the things that we talked earlier. When are we ready? So. For me, the, the fact that uh, a company reached out to me and were interested in my profile meant that, okay, like, I guess I'm doing something right. So if a company is, you know, needing my services, even though I didn't get the job, why wouldn't, you know, my local businesses, you know, business, the businesses in my area would be interested in what I have to offer. So I gave myself a challenge of reaching out to uh, the local businesses in my community. And over the weekend, I remember it was the weekend, I just looked up, you know, all the different businesses and those that didn't have a website. And this is how I found a tattoo artist that's literally 100 meters next to my house here. He only had a Facebook and an Instagram page. So I spent the whole weekend coding the page. I made a template for him. Funny enough, well, it 
took me literally two days, but the thing is that I reused somebody, something that I already had before, right? I didn't build it from scratch. I used the project that I had before and just customized it for the, for the, for the business because I didn't know what would be the answer, right? What would be the point of spending all those hours and hours if in the end it meant no, you know? But I wanted a template that I could reuse just in case, you know, meaning that if he said no, I could have just asked him, hey, do you know anybody else that's within the industry of tattoo, you know, tattoo artists that would be interested? And I would have gone to the other one and proposed to him, you know, uh, the same template, but customized to, to, to his brand. So over that weekend, I finished the website, but then I realized that, okay, the coding part is over, right? That was the easy part. But then I totally forgot that now I have to act like a business. I have to start to sell. I made this thing. Now I have to sell it to the guy, you know, and <laughs> to be honest, it, it, it wasn't easy, um, especially because, well, it's kind of difficult to just show up at people's door and just knock at the door and just be like, hey, you know, I'm selling you this thing. I literally went there and I was, you know, I got, I was scared, uh, to be honest. I was scared and just going there I was just like, what if he says no? You have all those things going through your mind, right? I remember the first, the first time I, got, I went there, I was feeling very stressed, but I still went in. When I came inside, I talked to the manager and basically I had a pitch prepared that I knew by heart and I started to talk to the lady and told her that, hey, I have a template that I would like to show you. I would like at least to have your opinion first. I didn't come to like, hey, I'm selling you something. Like, hey, look, I have this template. Would you be interested in it? And, you know, give me your opinion. And then follow up with, you know, with the sale, right? She looked at it and she was like, hey, you know, I really like the template. It looks very good. However, I'm not the decision maker. I can set up an appointment with the boss um, the next day, the following day. And I was like, okay, awesome. And then came a question that I did not expect at all. Because again, I'm a developer, not a business person. And she said, hey, do you have a, you know, you have a card so I can contact you? And shamelessly, I just told her, you know, uh, can I write it down on a piece of paper? I felt so ashamed at the time, uh, to be honest. And then I was like, okay, mistake number one have a card on you something that people can reach out uh, can you know something so that people can contact you you know uh, very important uh, because i think we mentioned that earlier uh, during the the talk so yeah have any have a business card have a you know contact details for people to contact you i i made a stupid mistake and um so the the following day um I knew the boss was there and I was still anxious. Uh, honestly, I was still very anxious. And the funny thing is that when I went to the store, I remember I saw that there were customers inside and I didn't want to pitch in front of all those people. So I literally like, you know, turned back around and went across the street and I was hiding behind a, a, a garbage bin to see if the customers were coming out or not, uh, literally, yeah. And it was, yeah, horrible, horrible moment because it was, yeah, it was raining, very windy. And I was just looking, you know, from across the street, are they coming out, are they coming out? 
Then, you know, after literally like 15 minutes of waiting, I told myself, look, you come from pretty far, you know, like your goal was this moment was supposed to happen in five years because that was the original plan, right? What do you have to lose? And at the same time, the week, the following week, I was about to be 28. So I was like, you're going to be 28 years old. Come on, man, grow up. But I took my courage into two hands and I literally went in. And what happened was that, yeah, I started to talk to the, well, I talked to the boss. And funny enough, it went very quick because it literally went to the point. I told him, hey, you, you know, I have a website and I made a template, you know. I made him, made him the whole pitch, you know, literally like, hey, I just started my business as a web developer and uh, my, my challenge was to, you know, go to local businesses and offer them my services. And basically, you know, I made you a template. And when I showed him the templates, I made sure that the conversation revolved around him and his business. And when I showed him the templates, I showed to him that every element on the web, on the landing page was not just randomly there, but it served the purpose. And that purpose is to help the business grow and improve. That's what businesses are interested in. They're not interested in the, the fancy functionalities that you might have and all that. They're business owners and their goal is to grow and improve their business. So when I made present the websites, that was basically, that's what the conversation was all about. Within 10 minutes, everything was done, like all the, all the negativity and all the, the doubts that I've put in my head before was just, was just not there anymore because I was, quote-unquote, in the zone. But at the same time, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And after that, you just asked me my price. Uh, to be honest, I went quite cheap. Uh, however, um, I sold him the template for about 450 euros. However... I focused a lot of upselling. I sold him the template as is. I would take care of uh, putting the pictures and changing the text. Everything that was related to deploying the website. For example, I tried to sell him on a e-commerce section because another thing was that I, after I presented him the website and we talked about the price, I wanted to know a little bit more about his business before upselling him. And when you ask questions to your customers, this is why it's very important to ask questions to the customers, I mean, to your clients and those business owners, is to really know what are their needs and, again, why do they need to improve on? And that's really the thing. And one of the things that I noticed was that the tattoo sales, by asking them questions, the tattoo sales were going, you know, were fine. However, he was also selling, uh, how do you call it? Um, Piercings and the sales over there were not going great, right? What I did is that I suggested him to for him to have a e-commerce section of the website so that customers can order the piercing from the site instead of well the benefit of it would be that he would have the store pretty much open 24-7, right? People can order at any time and they go to the store only to 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 give him the money and to try out the person that they ordered. But what did that mean? That meant mostly less stress on him. And because again, you have to think about how to improve and grow the business. And if you're able to solve the solution, 
of giving them uh, less stress, meaning that spending less time with customers and focusing on things that they actually, that they would probably prefer on focusing, meaning that uh, they would not have, for example, to just waste time with a customer and try to sell them on the person and they will try that and not wanting it anymore. In the meantime, another customer comes in that wants a tattoo that's you know more expensive and all that. And I, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say is that it's removing the stress of spending too much time with customers and at the same time of making money while he's at home. You know, that would be the purpose of it. And he was really interested, but I guess he wanted to see what I was up to first. So it's still it's still on the it's still on the an option that's on the table. Right. Another thing was that um Anything that was related again to hosting SEO, um, I told him that if he wants me to take care of it, that would be that would be um, I will uh, will charge him extra for it. And yeah, so then yeah, I'm not getting anything else. But um, yeah, in the end, well, uh, well, unfortunately, what happened next was that COVID hit it again. And he had to close, right? Um, so he just reopened uh, two weeks ago. And I went to the store last week and he's in the process of taking the pictures of that. Uh, when it comes to making a bill, however, um, you also have to understand. I also had to understand that now I was, I've started to become a business and I couldn't do this thing like under the table. Right. I, I had to get an official um, business number, you know, go to the government, you know, this here in France, you go to the government website and thanks God, it's all this process is free. You don't have much to pay. Still have to do those things. It's becoming a, they call it business to business. So can't just, for me, I just want things right. Um, earlier I mentioned that I, the price was pretty cheap. It was because, uh, I wasn't focusing so much on money since it was my first experience, even though I was quite happy with, quite happy with 150 euros. Um, however, I, I've had this conversation with, uh, another guy from Krimba talked to me, you know, how do you deal with, you know, how do you charge, you know, uh, how do you charge the guy? And later on, I realized that charging people is based on, first of all, the type of business you're working with. Obviously, a tattoo artist is making between, you know, three, 300 to four to at least between a minimum of 300 per tattoo, you know, meaning that, you know, one customer you know, with one customer, he would have paid for the website. So if it was in a different world, I would have probably charged him a little extra, a little more, meaning that at the same time, like if you go to a lawyer, well, lawyer, you know, charge you cheap and you go there with your problem, right? So it's at least making an estimation of how much they, in all those information, you get them when you ask them questions, right? Uh, about their sales, 
Unfortunately for myself, I wasn't prepared for it. Those are things that I should have told him the price much more after, uh, which was one of my mistakes. And um, the thing is that, yeah, I would have, um, since I know that the guy makes between 300 to 100 per customer, and knowing that he's, the tattoo business is going well, well, I can assume that the guy makes, you know, at least between, you know, two to 3,000 at least uh, per month. So I could have charged a little, a little extra for it, uh, especially knowing that it's an investment and he would get his money back. And the whole point of getting a website is for him improve and grow his business, meaning that more sales will follow along with that investment. Yeah, that was a brilliant story, Philippe. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, really useful information and uh, experience you've shared with us there. And um, Ransom9335 says, I would totally hide behind a dumpster. I get that. <laughs> and I feel exactly the same. Yes, I have. Um, I've turned up really early for interviews because I don't want to be late. And then you just have to hang around awkwardly outside and hope that no one from the interview panel sees you so yes i completely um resonate with that i think and it's think um, great i think that doing what i did is probably the most stressful things i could have done so mm. for now cold calling or just sending emails is nothing compared to it right so mm. At least I went through it and now I'm okay. I don't mind. Yeah, I think that's the thing with things that initially scare you. It's always the first one that's going to be the worst. And then after that, it just gets easier and easier. Yeah, I really liked the tip about getting business cards printed as well. That's a really good way of, um, well, making yourself contactable for a start. And it also seems very professional. And I don't think it's too expensive. Um, So get some ready, I would advice one of the things that i've used is uh, a company called link l-i-n-q and basically you have canvas that does the same thing pretty much and it's free but basically what they do is that it's a business card that work with nfc and basically your contact information you just scan your your the card to the customer's phone and all your contact information go out. Yeah, not endorsed oh, or affiliated, good. but this is what I use because <laughs> it, it look more, it look more professional, at least in my mind. However, you have Canvas that does the same thing, uh, but you don't have a card. You can do it through your phone and it's totally free. Oh, so you cool. can do the exact same thing. People can just take a snap a picture of the QR code mm. and they get the information that they need from you. That's really good, actually, because then there's no risk of them losing like a paper business card. They easily go through the wash or whatever else. But with this, it's already straight in their phone. So that's a really great tip, actually. I was thinking about that when you when you mentioned about the paper business card. Like, I guess like I've seen business cards as being like obsolete for a few years. But I think that like, I guess I've mostly interacted with technology companies where like, yeah, they, they don't care as much. But when you're going to these kind of brick and mortar businesses, I bet it feels good. Like, yeah, it feels good to get a business card and keep it on that, mm. keep it on hand. Yeah, and it's, it's probably cool. just a lot. Like, honestly, like I can totally imagine that happening. Like you go to the tattooist and speak to the first person. You need to speak to their po- boss, I guess. And mm, you might say something like, oh, well, I'll send an email or a message thing. 
But then you're kind of opening yourself up to a bunch of like problems because maybe the message gets stuck in like message requests. That happens a lot nowadays. Or the email gets lost or they forget to, to pass it forward. Some other kind of communicate. You just give them a business card. Like it's simple. Just pass it on. Yeah, definitely. Because the thing is that, well, at first I wrote it down on a piece of paper. So you can imagine that... Uh, it didn't look professional as well you know it's the same thing about having you know that leanne mentioned of having on your social media kind of like professional picture a lot of things are about appearances and you have to look professional because sometimes it can make or break the deal pretty much if you look yeah. like somebody that doesn't know what they're doing well you can also take the risk of losing the opportunity that's in front of you uh, earlier before you mentioned you talked about you know making yourself known out there one mm. of the things that i use is uh linkedin because you know when i was going through internship search i use linkedin a lot and one of the things that i that i did uh is that i posted a lot of my my work out there you know as post at least once a week i post something you know it's just like i don't know nav bar or a carousel or whatever and all my contacts are mostly headhunters and recruiters and this is how i started to get you know freelance gig from them and they would come to me and tell me hey you know we have this company i like your profile i see what you do etc pretty nice i have this company that's needing you know front-end developer and all that but couldn't accept because i'm quite busy right now but this is one of the things that I do. Yeah, I, I use LinkedIn. It's, it's a little bit subtle because I'm just, you know, I'm marketing myself while, you know, I'm just posting some stuff, right? I'm just showing to people, hey, this is what I can do. So eventually when recruiters see this, they jump on the opportunity and then they contact you. I was wondering, Philippe, is it possible to share a link to the Tattooist's website that you built? Is it public? Uh, not yet, but I can send you the templates if you like. Do you have it to hand? Maybe I guess I'm just curious to see what people in the in the in the chat think. Not about the website itself, but I'm kind of curious. Like, do you think you could build the same website Philippe did? Because I feel like that's probably a really like yeah motivating feeling. Like everything we spoke about at the beginning about trying it out by yourself. Well, if you if you can look at if people can look at your design, Philippe, and say, oh. I'm nearly there. That would be really encouraging, I think. If you're able to make a landing page, you are ready. When I made this website, I just knew HTML and CSS. Whatever JavaScript you see out there is mostly from code that I, you know, that I found on CodePen and I just adapted to the template. I wasn't a JavaScript expert at all. So you also have to understand that the customers don't care about the technology, at least for landing page, not, you know, depends on the projects, obviously. Um, but whether it's on WordPress, HTML, CSS, or whatever you can think of, React, he won't notice, he won't know the difference. Do, do it with a technology you're comfortable. As long as you know how to make a landing page, that this is it. That is fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Philippe. That's pretty much the end of the hour. Are you okay to close this out, Leanne, please? Yeah, thanks so much for the tips, Philippe. I think that's great advice, yeah. So I think, um, like we mentioned earlier, so many people are making really amazing things, especially um, within our community and outside of it, of course, and you might feel like, oh, well, I couldn't do that, so I shouldn't freelance, but that's absolutely not the case. So thank you for pointing that out and for the fantastic story of your first client. It was lovely to hear that. 
so yeah thanks everyone for coming i hope this has been useful and as usual if you think of other topics we could cover in the fireside chat let us know and hopefully you'll join us next week as well thank you so much everybody bye for now see you next week bye everyone